You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, this is Doug Robertson of the Atlanta Journal-Constitution with another edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. It is September 30th, and last night, Atlanta United defeated Inter-Miami 1-0 on a historic goal by Joseph Martinez. He scored a penalty kick in the 78th minute for his 100th goal across all competitions with the club. He reached the century mark in fewer games, 125, than any player in Major League history. It was quite an accomplishment for a guy who couldn't play uh, against Philadelphia the game before because of uh, discomfort in his right knee, but he took some injections, he said, uh, in the past week to make that happen. Um, again, qu- quite, a, quite an accomplishment, and I just posted a story about Joseph that I hope that y'all will consider uh, reading, please. Um, you can find it on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC and on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now. The win was important for Atlanta United because the Eastern Conference playoff race is about as bundled up as my sock drawer. Uh, it is really, really crazy. So after Wednesday night's results, Just a few points separate third from ninth in the East. So we have New England with 65. They can't be caught. They're going to win the Supporters' Shield, deservedly. Nashville with 46. I don't think they can be caught. But here's where things get jumbled up. D.C. United in third place with 40. NYCFC in fourth with 39. Philadelphia in fifth with 39. Atlanta United in 6th with 39, Orlando in 7th with 39, Montreal in 8th with 37, and Columbus, which isn't quite out of it yet, with 34. I think the loss by Miami last night pretty much ended its hopes. Uh, So Atlanta United has seven games left. That's a possible 21 points starting on Saturday in Montreal, which is a place that it's had some trouble in the past. A beautiful city, interesting little stadium. Uh, If you've never been next year, I would encourage you to try to go. It's it's a fantastic foodie place, just a fantastic walking city, beautiful cathedrals if you're into that. Um, But anyway, let's get back to Joseph Martinez for a second, if that's okay with y'all. The penalty kick was scored with his right foot in the lower right corner after the game. Or after the goal, he ran over to the supporter stands. 
uh, where he received a jersey with 100 on it. Um, he's only missed four penalties in his Atlanta United career, and I documented how he scored all the other goals uh, in the story that, again, you can find on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC. So he needed 125 games to reach 100 goals. The previous record holder was Robbie Keane, great L.A. Galaxy star, Tottenham player, among other places, 156 games. Roy Lasseter, 167 games. Bradley Wright Phillips, 168 games. Joseph said he wants to reach 200 goals, um, and he did it in, what, really just four seasons? Because he missed most of last season, all but one game, uh, because of an injury. So why not? He's only, I think, 28 years old. He's still got a lot of time. If his knee will hold up, if, if uh, he's managed correctly, and Pineda said he is going to, Gonzalo Pineda said he is going to do his best working with Joseph and talking with Joseph to manage his minutes in training and in games uh, to get the best out of him, why not 200? That would be a heck of a feat. Y'all have sent in some fantastic questions. There's one more stat that Johannes Schneider of Atlanta United's communications department provided. He is very, very good at his job, and I know that I appreciate the work he does. Mike Conti put out a very nice tweet about Johannes last night. Martinez becomes the 16th player in MLS history to reach 100 goals in all competitions and just the fifth to do it with one club. That's also very interesting. So thank you, Johannes, for that. Now, again, y'all sent in some fantastic questions, and I'm about to get into those. I appreciate you taking the time. I know it only takes a few seconds. But it's, uh, you know, it's important to me because I want to get an idea as to what y'all are thinking and, and wanting to read about and asking. So I very much appreciate uh, the thoughts and the effort and the results. The podcast is doing great. And a lot of that is down to y'all. Now, before we get into the questions, I'm going to take a quick coffee sip. It was a long night. All right, Nick says, I hope you enjoy your coffee as you work on today's podcast. Uh, I am, Nick, thank you. My question is this. It seems we will reach the 45-ish points that has been generally needed for seventh place. Yeah, I wrote that blog a few weeks ago that that should be the target. How many points have been generally needed for fourth place? Is this attainable? Do I dare to dream of home playoff game in November? Well, I'm never going to tell someone not to dream. Atlanta United has 39 points. In 2019 and 2018, the points total for fourth, which this year would come with a home playoff game, was 50 or 51. So Atlanta United needs anywhere from 11 to 12 more points, which would be four wins from its next seven games. Four of those games are against Cincinnati and uh, Toronto, two of the worst teams in the league. Uh, so, yeah, I do think you can get that total, whether it's going to be good enough, because everybody is so bunched up, I do not know. Um, so that that's going to be a tough one. <clears throat> Excuse me. That line out has three or two and a half tough games remaining, in my opinion, um, at Montreal on Saturday. NYCFC, 
NYCFC at home on October 20th. And Red Bulls, I think, is a little bit of a tough game, and they also get Inter-Miami again. Um, so I don't think it's unreasonable to assume that Atlanta United is going to get at least 12 more points, possibly 14, which would get them to 51. I'm sorry, it would get them past 51. Um We'll get into 53, and then we will see what happens. Great question, Nick. Thank you. Kyle says, I love your work. Thank you, Kyle. Always appreciate your honest and grounded reporting on the team. Thank you, Kyle. Uh, you know, some people on Twitter still understand that I'm not employed by Atlanta United. I'm not there to be rah-rah. And when it's good, I'll say it's good. And when it's bad, I'll say it's bad. And when it's in between, I'll say it's in between. And that was a lot of last night's game, particularly in the first half was a little bit in between. Atlanta United, and I had the ball, but it wasn't making a lot of off-the-ball runs. A lot of that could be credited to Miami because it was playing with eight to nine guys behind the ball, very deep lines, um, five, three, and one, or five and four at times. Um, but that's how you unlock blocked lines, is you make those runs. You, you make... Defenders make decisions or make defenders have to communicate. When you're standing around, it's easy to mark. But it was better than the either half against Philadelphia, but you could still see that something just wasn't quite there. Anyway, Kyle says, I noticed in this game against Miami, we continue to try and force chances up the middle through the top of the box while leaving folks like Bellow and Lennon wide open on the outside. Why is that? It's like they've been instructed to not widen the field of play and utilize that space to send in dangerous crosses. Any thoughts on that? Well, in all honesty, I think Atlanta United's teammates last night were trying to help Martinez and get that 100th goal. So they were continuing to uh, put chances into the middle. You have to also remember that LGP got a yellow card in the first half. So they may have been trying to make him make a mistake and get another, another yellow card and go up. Atlanta didn't play as wide as they typically do, um, which may have been tactics or just may have been how Miami was playing, but I do agree with you on that. When you have Bellow and Lennon who can get up and down the wing, you would think that they would try to get the ball outside and maybe get in some crosses, uh, low crosses that Martinez can punch in. Pineda's talked about that rather than the, the crosses where you have to try to win an aerial duel, trying to hit those early crosses to get in between the back line of the goalkeeper. But when Miami's playing at such a, a low block close to the goal, it's going to be really, really hard to thread that needle. So that might be why, Kyle. Coffee sip. And Andy Griff, the show, is on in the background, in case you're curious. This one with Uncle Ollie. Ben in Philadelphia. I think this might be a, a new Ben. I have a couple of bins, uh, but it sounds like he's a listener to the podcast because he tells me to enjoy my coffee. Thank you, Ben. And I love Philadelphia. I wish I could have gone there last weekend. It's one of my favorite cities to visit, particularly when you go to city center. And I, I, lo I love to catch up with my old friend, Jonathan Tannenwald of the Inquirer, who's one of the best soccer reporters in a talented pool of soccer reporters in this country. And I hope you all all read their work and appreciate them. Ben says, over the last two matches, Atlanta has, a look, has looked a little sluggish, and their passes haven't been crisp. 
Does Atlanta need time off, or what do you think Atlanta needs to continue its playoff push? Yeah, they weren't. You know, they were really sharp in that seven of eight game when they win the seven of eight game stretch, and then Philadelphia, they were just awful. Last night, they were slightly better, particularly in the second half, but still not quite the same as they were during that streak. So they're about to get some time off because of the international break. They get a chance to rest their legs and kind of really come up with their game plans for these final games. And we'll see what they come up with. They're going to play some teams that really don't have anything left to play for other than pride. So that's going to be interesting to see how they approach that too. Now David says, if the late, (laughs) excuse me, allergies here, Leandro Gonzalez-Prez tackle on George Bellow is outside the 18, is he sent off? I feel the ref swallowed the whistle a lot late to give Miami a chance after the soft but real handball. I don't think refs think like that. I get this question a lot about refs swallowing the whistle or refs trying to keep things even. But like the players, they are pros. I mean, their job is to call the game as they see it. So I don't know. Um, he didn't get a yellow, so I guess the referee didn't think that it was worth a yellow. The handball, I agree with you, was soft, but it was real. Um, LGP tried to get his hands behind, but you could see his left arm kind of swing out a little bit as that ball goes past. He argued vociferously with the referee, as he likes to do, about the call. Referee didn't even go over to the monitor to look. He was dead set in his mind that it was a handball off a, a good kind of move to the end line and cross by George Bellow who, with, along with Miles Robinson, was called up to the U.S. Men's National Team for its upcoming World Cup qualifiers next week. Uh, so that's another positive step in the development of both players. And while I'm saying that, it should be pointed out that Robinson and Walks and Alan Franco were just uh, fantastic last night. Not that uh, Gonzalo Higuain has a lot left in his tank based upon his lack of movement and and stuff last night. But he was just absolutely bottled up by those three, as was as was Robbie Robinson. The two of them together in 173 minutes, two shots, none on goal, no Miami player put a shot on goal, and only two chances created. Great credit to Miles Robinson, Anton Walks, Alan Franco, Santiago Sosa for their efforts in stopping Miami there. Another Adam, we got a lot of Adams today, um, which is a good thing, says, how is the team doing compared to your mid-late season prognostication? Well, I said that the team needed to get 45 points to make the playoffs, and I said it's going to be very, very close, and I don't think it's going to be as close as I thought it was going to be because of that 7 of 8 win streak. They have 39. They only have to get six points with seven games left to reach 45. I didn't think the East was going to remain as bundled up as it is. So I think they probably need to get closer to 48 to definitely make the playoffs. Um, And again, we've covered 50 to 51 to get a home playoff game. So they're beating my prognostication. Of course, my prognostication is worth about as much as a cup of coffee. Adam continues with question B. Luis Araujo looked a little skittish tonight. Was he nursing an injury or something else? 
Yeah, Pineda was asked about Luis after the game, and he said, you know, he's still getting used to the league and everything else. Um, yeah, he has not quite looked the same the past two games. He had some just awful decisions last night in which he just couldn't connect with teammates. Um, he, yeah, he's just struggling a little bit, which is natural. But we'll see how he comes back next week after he's had a chance to rest his legs and his mind and get settled a little bit more uh, with the country and with the team. I think he's still a, a top-shelf player who is just going to be a handful next year and in the playoffs, uh, no matter who Atlanta United plays. Adam's C question is, Santiago Sosa did very well defensively, and the team did well in their tackling but they still seem prone to leaving midfield opponents open and capable of countering. Simply a default of the permission to be more opportunistic in attack or a genuine weakness in defensive communication. It's a very good observation. Um, part of this was the way that Pineda said he was using Marcelino Moreno in the first half. He wanted him to be kind of a deep-lying playmaker, but then Moreno would drift forward which is his inclination because he's more of an attacking midfielder. And so that would leave spaces open in the midfield for only Santiago Sosa to cover or for Barco or Rajo to try to get back and cover. And then when they did that, there was no one left going forward for Atlanta to hit when it tried to counter. Um, so that is why Moreno came out in the first half and um, Mateus Uzetu came in in the second half, to start the second half, was because Pineda said he wanted those dual pivot midfielders to be ball winners. By them staying back, it creates more space for Barco, Joseph, and Harajujo, and he thinks they did that well. Uh, Pineda said he was not displeased at all with Moreno. He was more, I guess, displeased with himself for how he, how he was trying to use Moreno. And so he made that change. And and Marino's played a lot of minutes this year. He needs, you know, to be managed a little bit as well, as does Barco, as does Araujo, uh, to keep them fresh for the stretch run and for the playoffs. So that's a very good question, Adam, and I thank you for it. Pat says, it's just an observation, but it seems to have been a factor in the last two matches, although I did feel comfortable with our substitutions. In the end, points or points. Josh, I think maybe, or Pat, I think maybe your question did not get included, or maybe I missed it. Let me go back here. and Yeah, I think you left off your question, buddy. Um, yeah, you, your copy of your question got left off. I got the bottom part, but not the first part, so I'm sorry about that. If you want to email it to me, I'll just email you an answer. Uh, my email is d-r-o-b-e-r-s-o-n at ajc.com if anyone wants to send me questions they don't want to answer on the podcast but they are curious about. Coffee sip. Josh asks, Gritty win tonight. Two questions. Despite Joseph's 100th goal and defensive heroics, would you agree that Barco is our best player since the Olympics? I would. Uh, often I feel he's the only one giving 100%. Don't agree with that. Uh, but he is he is definitely giving 100%. Arahujo is more comprehensively talented, but he's taken the last two matches off, in my opinion. 
I don't think he's taken it off. I think that opponents are adjusting to him a little bit. And now he has to continue adjusting to them. Plus, you know, as I've said many times about many of the guys that come to Atlanta United from uh, other countries, he's having to adjust to a new country, new league, new team, new teammates, new tactics, new manager, new opponents, everything. And it takes time. Um, a lot of times you can come in like a house of fire and then opponents will make adjustments and it's up to your responsibility as a professional to counter their counters. So we'll see what Rahujo has in store. I think, as I said a few minutes ago, he's going to be a fantastic player for Atlanta United. And I'm still befuddled how he ended up in Major League Soccer and not at another team in Europe after he left Little. Josh continues, was LGP hard done by uncle? Both teams seem to be unhappy with his, he says, stupid decision-making. Yeah, I didn't understand some of uncle's calls last night. Not everybody is going to have a great game, and I don't think this was uncle's greatest game. It's good to see Corey Rockwell, uh, former Atlanta native, on the, the sidelines with the officiating crew last night. Corey's a good guy. Um but yeah, Uncle didn't have his best game. I don't think that LGP was hard done. He has a reputation, and that reputation will affect him. Uh, and the calls he gets on the field, I know referees are pros, but when referees keep getting yelled at over and over again by the same player, they're going to look at that player more closely and, and see what he's doing. Taylor with an E on the end. So I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. If it's Taylor or Taylor, I apologize if I've mispronounced it. Asks, why is Brooks Lennon not used as much as Gressel was? He delivers quality crosses from what I can tell, but he doesn't seem to get the ball unless it's a long ball to switch the field. Um, yeah, this is a good question. Um, I think part of it is there's no Miguel Almiron in the middle of Atlanta United's formation, a guy who was just a one-man counterattack. And so teams would have to kind of collapse into the middle to keep Almiron from just slicing through. Barco remains – Barco can get vertical. We've seen that during that win streak. But lately, teams are making him go much more horizontal uh, than vertical. And so the teams are going to the low blocks, making Barco go across the field rather than up or down the field. And that also takes away space from Lennon uh, to put in early crosses or late crosses. But Lennon still, I know he had led the team uh, in chances created in the first half with three. He didn't create any more in the second half, but he and Barco tied uh, for the team lead in chances created with three last night. Adam, another Adam, says, Presumably, the volume of Wednesday night matches this season is down to the compressed schedule. Is it safe to say the team will do all it can to minimize the Wednesday night league matches the next season? Can they at least lobby for a 7.30 match time so as to get more fans to arrive? The team has no say in its schedule other than dates in which Mercedes-Benz Stadium isn't available, things like that. They can't just tell the league, we don't want to play on a Wednesday night. Again, unless there's an event already booked for the stadium. It just doesn't happen that way. The league creates a schedule, and then it goes from there. And no, it's never going to get easier. As you all know, last week, MLS announced a, a new tournament 
or an expanded term at the League's Cup, featuring every team from Liga Emekis, that's Mexico's first division, and MLS. Also expanded the Champions League. So if anything, particularly if the U.S. Open Cup continues, the schedule is going to get even more compressed. There will be more Wednesday night games. Noah says, what can we take from today's game besides the obvious Joseph record? What are your major concerns? Um, Atlanta United, like most teams, still has a great deal of trouble breaking down uh, a team playing in a, in a block. You would think that with Barco's dribbling ability and Arajo's dribbling ability and Martinez's efficiency, that Atlanta United might be a little bit better at breaking down a low block simply because of its ability to win one-on-one battles. Uh, but my, my biggest concern about last night is there's still a lack of one-touch passing and moving. As I said earlier, Atlanta United was very easy to mark in the first half last night uh, because they weren't moving off the ball. You could sit there and watch it. They were just person will get the ball, and all of the teammates were just standing around. So it didn't really – I mean, Atlanta United got a lot of shots. I think they had nine and three on goal in the first half. But it was pretty easy for Miami to defend. You can actually argue Miami had the better chances uh, with a couple of crosses that nobody touched across the face of goal. Atlanta United got lucky that Higuain was too lumbrous to get down there and put a foot on him. All right, now this is our, I believe, our last question today. I don't have any in the emails. This is a long one from Chris, so i got to take a coffee sip and, and steady myself. All right, this is more of a league question than an Atlanta United question, but we've seen now seven coaching changes this season. Toronto, Atlanta, Vancouver, Salt Lake, Dallas, Cincinnati and Chicago, which let go of Raphael Wiki officially today, was reported first last night. Do you think we will see any more openings this year? Perhaps Tab Ramos in Houston. If Columbus misses the playoffs, Caleb Porter will have missed them two of his three years in charge. Although I have trouble thinking that the guy who won the MLS Cup last year is out. It feels like Mateus Almeida is almost always on the chopping block, too. Oh, and Taylor Trollman pointed out that Bob Bradley is out of contract at the end of the season and could be poised to go somewhere new. Are there others vulnerable to seeing a change, and what type of coach might these teams go after? Rob Valentino, Landon Donovan, and Jason Price have reportedly interviewed for the RSL job. So could Valentino end up leaving us this offseason? Or do I think it's still too early for him to get a job? So, yeah, I do think there could be some coaching changes still coming. I don't think Porter will be let go. I think he'll get one more season. And if he doesn't make the playoffs next season, assuming they don't make it this season, yeah, he'll be gone. Struber and Red Bulls could be gone. We'll have to see uh, what happens with Bob Bradley. LAFC is four points out of the playoff picture after they lost 2-1. to one. Another game in which they kind of dominated on paper, but just leaked two bad goals. Bob Bradley's contract status may just be tactics uh, to get a better deal. But they've only won the Supporter Shield. Which, is, I mean, I, I shouldn't say only won. The Supporter Shield is a fine trophy. But they haven't won the MLS Cup. They've you know done well. 
but that's the only trophy. And they've spent a lot of money, and now they're losing a lot of their star players. You're right about Almeida. Tab Ramos, I've never really understood why he's rated so highly. To be fair to him, Houston doesn't have a lot of talent, uh, just 27 points. And Josh Wolf and Austin, um, that's going to be interesting to see what happens. They only have 22 points, um, second fewest tied with Toronto in the league behind Cincinnati. Austin did not spend money wisely, a million dollars on a D-mid, and Alexander Ring was just a, a dumb, dumb decision. The team knew it didn't have goal scorers. Why he spent that much money on Ring, who's played well for Austin, uh, but to me, he's not a game changer. And you spend a million dollars in Major League Soccer, you need a game changer, like Darlington Nagby was with Atlanta United. Uh, and Ring, is he's a fine player, but he's not that caliber. So it's going to be interesting to see about Wolf in Austin. I'm not advocating for his firing. I think the roster needs to be improved. Uh, and then, you know, there's always wild cards out there. What happens with NYCFC? I don't think Jim Curtin's leaving Philadelphia. Uh, but he, you know, if Bradley were to leave, Jim Curtin might say, hey, L.A. might be cool if Bradley leaves. Things like that. Um, I don't think Pereja is going to be let go in Orlando. Uh, that, that was a fine result. They fought back to get last night 2-2 at Nashville. One of these other teams may make a run at Gary Smith in Nashville. He's done a fantastic job there. Um, as for Rob Valentino, because that's who you asked about specifically, he has aspirations, he says, but he also knows that he needs to learn more. Um, so I think it's good for him to go through interview processes with teams. I'll be surprised if he's offered Yep, because he's really only been a head coach for what, whatever it was, seven or eight games with Atlanta United. Um, I think not having Valentino has affected Atlanta United. I don't think it's a coincidence that they played with a lot of energy when Valentino was in charge, and then he misses the last two games because he's in the health and safety protocols, and it's likely going to miss the Montreal game. And that energy hasn't been there. I, I don't know if it's correlation or causation, but anyway. And lastly, Chris says, enjoy your coffee. <laughs> makes me laugh. I'm a tea guy myself. Uh, thank you, Chris. That was a fine question, and I always like talking about other things within the league. So if y'all have questions about other things in the league, in the league that you want to uh, talk about on the podcast, feel free to send them my way. Um, so we're going to wrap up this edition of the Southern Fried Soccer Podcast. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Doug Robertson AJC on Facebook at Atlanta United News Now, and on the Instagrams at Douglas David Robertson. I'm going to now finish a story on Carlos Bocanegra, who's going to be inducted in the Pro Soccer Hall of Fame on Saturday. Uh, it's a story I've, I've worked very hard on. I hope that you'll, it's long, I hope that you'll read it from start to finish uh, and share it with your friends. And as always, thank you for your contributions to making this podcast a success. I hope you and your family are well. I hope that uh, you're happy, healthy, hug a loved one today, listen to some good music, get outside and enjoy this beautiful weather. We'll talk to you all later.
In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades, an AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces, as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story, this is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.